I'm so happy to be here with you this morning. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 54. Psalm 54. We have been reading through the Psalms this summer and have arrived this morning at Psalm 54. And so we'll read it together and then talk about it for a couple minutes. So, Psalm 54 begins with a title or superscription that was written after the text itself. And it gives us the setting for the psalm. It says, To the choir master, with stringed instruments, a masculine of David, when the Ziphites went and told Saul, Is not David hiding among us? O God, save me by your name. And vindicate me by your might. O God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. Selah. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness, put an end to them. With a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For He has delivered me from every trouble. And my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. So in the face of it, we have here what looks and is a simple psalm. Just uh, seven or so verses that tell us that, yes, in fact, you can trust the Lord. Okay? Sort of what you would expect the Bible to tell you, right? Well, this is a, an interesting uh, psalm because it gives us a snapshot into the life of David that... Uh, we might not otherwise have. It tells us that this was written to be sung on stringed instruments by a choir. It is a masculine, which is a, a psalm of instruction. Just uh, heard the presentation by uh, Brian and Judy Cochran yesterday, our missionaries with uh, Wycliffe, and they talked about, um, if I can say it right, ethnomusicology the study of music uh, around the world. And their different cultures have songs and different kinds of instruments that do different things. A masculine is one of those. It is a song of instruction. It, you are to, 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 to be instructed and to learn how to live by the singing and the meditation on this song. It was written when... The Ziphites went and told Saul, Is not David hiding among us? Now this is a most uh, uh, unlikely time to write a song. It is a most unusual setting uh, for a song. The Ziphites betrayed David to Saul. Now this is... This happened in 1 Samuel 23. It happened also in 1 Samuel 26. Twice the Ziphites 
betrayed David to Saul. These Ziphites, I mean, Ziphites sort of a funny word. I'm, I apologize for that. They are from the town of Ziph. Doesn't really help, does it? But I hope you won't take it less seriously because of that. Turns out, these Ziphites are of the tribe of Judah, the same tribe as David. In other words, these are his kinsmen, his relatives, who are betraying him to the very king who is trying to kill him. Saul is trying to kill David because David had been anointed king of Israel by God. God had said, David, you will be king. The only problem with that is he wasn't king yet. And Saul was. Which you would expect, Saul didn't like that very well. And so Saul said to himself, if only I can get rid of David, all my problems will go away and I will remain king. And so he began to hunt David down. And this is, this is just one of the most exciting parts of all of the Bible. I mean, you read it and you just, I mean, you just can hardly stop because the, the next exciting thing is right around the corner. It's just right after David kills Goliath, which, you know, is a pretty good story. And then you've got, um, Dog the Edomite that we talked about in Psalm 52. Uh, he is, he betrays David to Saul and kills priests and David runs and uh, that happens again with uh, the Ziphites in Psalm, or in 1 Samuel 23. And then David runs and he, he meets the fool, Nabal, and uh, threatens to kill him and he's spared. Uh, and God takes care of Nabal anyway. And then the Ziphites betray David again. And it just goes and goes and goes. And something around every corner is uh, unusual and interesting. And I remember reading that as a kid thinking, this is just the greatest thing. I would love to be like David. If only I could be like David, then, uh, you know, then I would be kind of everything I'd hoped I could be, you know. But the thing is, the range of my experience, probably the range of all of our experiences, is, you know, not very much of it is like David and Goliath. Not very much of it is like, uh, you know, the heroic things that David has done. Most of the time, I find myself over sort of cowering in the corner saying, oh my, what's going to happen to me? If Saul's chasing me, hunting down my life, I'm run, I mean, I'm not very happy about that. I'm not writing psalms of praise and confidence. <laughs> I'm like, you know, get me out of here. This is awful. But that's what's happening to David. But he's not over here. David instead has all the confidence in the world that God's going to deliver him so much so that these two incidences with the Ziphites set up for us some of the most amazing things in all the Bible. See, David was anointed king. Saul was currently the king. Saul was trying to kill David on that account. David would run. And twice, once after the first time that the Ziphites betrayed him, David found Saul 
when Saul was vulnerable and David could have killed him. And he didn't. He just let him go. And then a second time, the Ziphites betrayed David to Saul. And David ran and Saul chased him. And David found Saul and he was vulnerable. And David could have killed him again. And he didn't. Now to me, that that's, takes the most courage, the most confidence that I can imagine. Here, you could take care of the problem yourself. And instead, he said, no, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed God has promised me and God will bring it to pass. And he trusted God instead of taking matters into his own hands. And I have to say, that is not commonly my experience. See, if you, if you have this on one end and, and trembling in fear over here, I think mo- many of us spend a lot of our time over here afraid. And if not, maybe we make it kind of halfway when we're sort of here, okay, and we're not real confident, but we're not really afraid, and we just sort of don't pay attention, I think. We're here in the middle somehow. But the reality is, I would love for you, and I would love for me, to be over here where we have absolute confidence that God will do what God has promised He'll do. Because without that absolute confidence, you can't do these amazing things like David and Goliath. Like not killing Saul. You can't do that. Because instead, you're wondering, I don't know if God's actually really going to do what God said He's going to do. So somehow, we have to get from here to over here. We have to get from trembling with fear to confidence. And so that's what I think this psalm is about. I think this is David's meditation, his prayer about how do you go from being fearful to being confident? How do I trust God when someone seeks my life? And his answer is that salvation comes because of God's character and presence. And it certainly comes. And so let's look at the psalm in, with that in mind. How do we get more confident in God? Well, it starts off and it tells us what the psalm is about, right? You don't have to look very long and say, hmm, what's the psalm going to be about? Oh God, save me by Your name. That's pretty much what it's about. God, would You rescue me from Saul who is seeking my life? Will You save me by Your name? Now, the the way that David understands that God will save him is by your name. Now that strikes me as sort of a funny way to talk about it, right? You wouldn't probably talk about it like that. But there is in the name of God expressed all of His character. All of the things that God has revealed about Himself may be summarized in His name. It's just a little bit like you write a check 
Right? What do you what do you write on the bottom of the check? You write your name. Why? Because it summarizes everything about you that says, I'm good for this. I I can pay for this. And so your name matters. And what David says with this phrase is God will save me by His character. God will save me because He, in all of His revealed glory, is with me. He's saying a lot when He just says, by your name. Okay, He's saying that God saved me by your justice. Save me by your holiness, by your compassion, by your love. Save me with your strength. Save me because you are good. Save me because of who you are, essentially. Save me by your name. So he begins his prayer by invoking everything there is really about God. He invokes that on his behalf to save him. And so if you read the Scriptures and you read about God caring about His name, that, uh, or, or, God, or may your name be great, what He's saying is, God, we want You to be revealed for who You are as a great and glorious God. Because God cares about His name. And David trusts in His name. His name matters because God Himself matters. Oh God, save me by your name. Now, I, again, that, that just is language we don't normally use. So I want to help you kind of get used to the language. This is, this is a verse we pull out every Christmas. Okay? And we sort of use it at Christmas and we think it belongs at Christmas. And we don't pay as good of attention as we could because we're getting ready to go open presents or something. But this is the angel's word to Mary, or, or to, uh, to Joseph, saying that she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Okay? Notice that early in the introduction, before he's even born, about Jesus is his name. What is important about his name? That's, I mean, what, why couldn't you say something else about him? You want to say something about his name because his name will be Jesus. Why will it be Jesus? For he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. That happens to be what the name Jesus means. Jesus means salvation. Yeshua would be the, the, the way that you would pronounce it in Hebrew. Bring it over to Aramaic and then into Greek and you get Jesus. And then into English. You get Jesus. And it matters that He's called Jesus because the name Jesus means salvation. And so you would have the same relationship to that name that David has to the name of God, right? Oh God, save me by Your name. See, think about that. That's what, that's what you're talking about 
When you're, when you're talking about Jesus saving you from your sins, you're having the same confidence in Jesus that David has in the name of God. That God will save you from your sins. And so you're going to have to decide. Is, that, is God good for that or not? Is the name of Jesus a good enough name that I can trust for that? Or not? That's really what you're going to have to process yourself. Going back to Psalm 54, Oh God, save me by Your name. And vindicate me by Your might. And what he says here is that God is not only willing to save but He is able to save. He not only has good intent toward rescuing David, because he's already given his word to it, you see. He doesn't have just good intent. He has the ability to do it. Which is different. See, if I was, <laughs> if I was going to rescue you, I promise you I would try. What? That's not good enough for you? Exactly, it's not good enough for you, right? And, and what, what's the problem? Most of us treat God the same way. Oh God, I, I hope You'll save me. Or we think, He won't save me from my sins. My sins are too bad. He's not able to clean me all the way up. He is not able to forgive what I've done. And we insult His ability to do what He said He will do through Jesus. Right? You laugh at me because you don't think I'm able to save. And yet we treat God the same way. When we don't have absolute confidence in Him. And that's where David's coming from with this prayer. Save me by Your name. Vindicate me by Your might. So I, I, I jumped ahead to Jesus to try and give you the same kind of confidence that David had. Let me jump ahead even farther to Revelation. To the end of the story. This is the great Christian hope. Okay, That one day in heaven, John says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And so, what he's affirming finally is that yes, in fact, God saves and He is powerful to save. Both. So that one day you and I will stand in heaven and we will say with confidence, however frail I felt back there, however much I worried back there, I know you save. I know you are powerful to save. The reason I jumped ahead, I know the end of the story. Right? I tell you the end of the story so that you have a similar confidence to David. 
David was that certain as he prayed, as though he already knew how this would turn out. How could he know that? Because of what God had promised. That's what it means to have faith. To have faith in the confidence of God so that what He promises is as certain as though it has already taken place. When I'm that convinced, I'm full of faith. When I'm not convinced of that, then I'm over here worried that maybe He will, maybe He won't. I'm not sure what God will do. And so, the end of the story in the person of Jesus affirms for us and anchors our confidence that yes, in fact, even in the midst of the Ziphites' betrayal and Saul's pursuit, I can trust in God. Then he says, O God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. A simple, you might say, introduction to his prayer. But I want to stop for a moment because it's very easy to read this the wrong way. It's very easy to read this and think that, well, God, I, I know you don't normally hear me, but I'd really like it if you'd hear me this time. Would you please, just this once, pay attention to what I have to say. Okay, if you're reading this that way, you're reading it wrong. But that's how a lot of us think, right? We think we go through life and God doesn't normally hear us, but we sure hope that He would. No wonder we're not confident. What David instead, I think, is praying here is, Oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. I am dead earnest in coming to You in prayer. I am dead earnest as I come to You expressing my trust. So God, hear my prayer. And so you have here his expression of his prayer. And he says, For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. Selah. So you're to pause and contemplate right, what it looks like for someone not to set God before themselves. This has sort of the echo of Psalm 53, where it said, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Here, these strangers. Now, the strangers is kind of an interesting uh, description of his kinsmen, of his family, of his relatives. Because these Ziphites are the ones that betrayed him and they've risen against him and now he calls people in his own tribe strangers. Now why does he do that? He calls the people in his own tribe strangers because they have sided with Saul against David. They have sided against the promise of God. They themselves have the promise to their forefather Judah that says the scepter will not depart from Judah. And yet they're saying, we're with Saul. And so they have declared themselves strangers to the promise of God and consequently to David. And they don't set God before themselves. 
Again, that's kind of an awkward way to say that. That God is simply not part of the way they view the world. They don't pray. They don't start their day reading God's Word. They don't consider what God wants them to do. They don't think about what God's priorities in the world might be. Selah. Do you? Do you set God before yourself? Do you make it a priority? See, this is the kind of thing we're supposed to stop and think about. Do you make it a priority that you're going to pursue what God wants in the world? In your life? That's what he's talking about here. These people don't. So they're opposing the purpose of God and that's why he prays. And then, this is sort of the center of the psalm. The, the heart. You can just almost see it beating even as you read. He says, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be fearful or worry. I don't have to be insecure as I imagine what my future will hold. Because God is my helper. And the Lord is the one who upholds my life. Are you that confident that God is your helper? See, this is not a prayer anymore, really, is it? He's not saying, oh God, please help me. He is saying, bring it on. God's my helper. I'm going to be just fine. Behold, look, God is my helper. See, God God is my helper. God is your helper. But see, one of the things we do is we forget that and we come over here and we get all excited about how bad our life is going and we quit. Or we worry or we fret instead of realizing, you know what? I can let Saul go because God's my helper. I can step forward and do battle with Goliath because God's my helper. Okay? Goliath can't be God. We're good. That's where... That's, that's the kind of thing that we just don't really lock into. I mean, we might lock into, like when I was a boy, I'd read these stories, I'd get all excited, I want to be like David. When he fought Goliath, oh yeah, I'm just going to copy David. I'm just going to imitate David. I'm going to do my best to be like David until something bothered me or scared me. Or, and then I'd run over here and I'd say, oh, look at David, he's really great. You know? The thing that takes someone from over here to over here is the absolute certainty that God is with her or with him and God is my helper. And He's not just merely helping you with some dumb thing like finding a parking spot or something like that. He is upholding your life. There is nothing that matters to you that is ultimately going to go sideways because God's your helper and He upholds your life. Now, I am worried. Whoops. I'm worried, right? 
that you don't believe that. Okay? That you need, again, the end of the story to remind you that yes, in fact, you can believe that God is your helper and the upholder of your life. So let's jump to the New Testament. See? Therefore, Jesus had to be made like His brothers in every respect so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. We've already talked about that earlier in the service. To make a propitiation for the sins of His people. That means that God went before His people so that He would offer Himself to satisfy God's anger or wrath against their sin. There is nothing they have any longer that will make God angry with them. Okay, What's the point of that? Because He Himself has suffered when tempted. He is able to help those who are tempted. Okay, That's you. That's me. And I have Jesus who came to this world, died, rose again, now stands before God as a high priest forever to represent me and help me even when I'm tempted. Even like at my worst. See, God is really committed to being your helper. And if that's not enough, let's go to the Gospel, right? What Jesus said... Jesus said, but later, okay, after I go, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name. Notice, in My name phrase, right? Those are not throwaway lines. He's going to send Him with all of the character, all of the strength, all of the power, all of the love of Christ. He will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I have said to you. God has given you the Holy Spirit as your helper. You have Jesus as your helper. You have the Holy Spirit as your helper. You can say with David, God is my helper. Are you still going to be over here? Are you still going to come over here and like, I don't really know if He's going to help me or not. Are you really going to do that? This is why. This is why we have this verse, the Helper the Holy, whom God will send will bring to remembrance all that I have. And, notice, peace I leave with you. Peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither be afraid. What Jesus is saying is that because I've sent you the Holy Spirit, you don't have any business being insecure. You don't have any business wondering whether God really will come through for you. He will! That's the point of it. Get all the way over here where you're willing to trust God with anything. And leave behind that uh, trembling, troubled heart. Why would, you, why would you want to be over there when you could be over here? Let's trust in what God tells you. Now, just to make, just to make it clear 
that this salvation comes um, because of the character and presence of God and you can be sure of it. Once you see these last three verses all betray the same kind of faith. Okay, God's my helper. He's going to uphold my life. And He will return evil to my enemies. Okay, that's not a prayer either. That is a statement of how it is. It's a statement of fact. I am trusting God and He will return the evil to my enemies. I can let Saul go, you see. In your faithfulness, put an end to them. So he's trusting what God has already revealed and praying that back to the Lord. In your faithfulness, put an end to them. Then notice the next one. With a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. With a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I think what David is saying here is that my hiding in a cave down in the wilderness of Ziph is not the end of the story. My running from Saul is not the end of the story. My current circumstance is not all there is that's real. And he says, this is so certain that I know in the future I will return to the tabernacle where people offer their free will offerings. You don't just do that down at the 7-Eleven in Ziph. You have to go to the tabernacle to offer your free will offering. And he says, that's me in the future. I am that confident in God's salvation. I will give thanks. And then again, we see this, so we know that this is like one of the themes here. This, I will give thanks to your name. Because you are present, because of how you revealed yourself to me, O Lord, I know that you are good and I will praise you. And so what he's saying is, this is an expression, I think, of his faith in the circumstance. See, we think God's going to deliver. I mean, if I trust God, there shouldn't be Ziphites. If I trust God, Saul shouldn't be a problem. But he is, and they are. That's not faith. Faith is saying, in spite of the Ziphites, in spite of Saul, I am absolutely convinced that the promise of God will be good, that I can speak of it, even in the midst of the circumstances, with certainty. So, you, if you think I'm making this up, look, read this carefully. For He has delivered me from every trouble. And my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. No, it hasn't. Still in the cave. I'm still running from Saul. Then why does he say it that way? He has delivered me. Because that's what faith is. 
Faith is being that convinced of the promise of God that I can speak of it as though I was in the future looking back knowing it's accomplished. Right? It is without question God will deliver me. And so I can speak of it as though it's already done. Without question, I will look in triumph on my enemies. And so I trust God for that. You see, that, that's, what, that's what faith is. That's what it means when, when we say, you need to trust Jesus to be your Savior. Okay? That's not like praying a, a prayer that's magic. That's not, you know, hoping that some religious thing that you do will somehow you know, get God's attention and earn His favor. When we say you need to trust God to forgive your sins or to trust Jesus as your Savior, what we mean is that God has said that Jesus came, died on the cross, rose again to make the propitiation for your sins. We just read that in Hebrews, right? Where He has satisfied God's wrath against sin. And that God will no longer be angry with you about your sin if in fact you trust Jesus. And so, you're not going to be over here saying, but I'm not sure. See, that's not faith at all. Or, some of my sins are easy to forgive, but some of them are not easy to forgive. That's not faith either. Faith instead is being absolutely certain that when you come face to face with God, that He will embrace you even though you know what you've done. Even though you know whatever else it is over there, you are that convinced that God means what He says and that His wrath is completely satisfied against your sin. That you can talk about it as though it's already been accomplished. That your faith is that secure. And so, that's what I hope David helps us with here. Is that when we're talking about the salvation of God, God save me by your name, that we can actually be, in fact, that confident right now that God saves us. We can be that confident right now that His ability, His power to save us can be unquestioned. That our worst sin or the accuser of our souls, none of that can foil God's Word when God says, I, uh, I am reconciled to you. I forgive you. I love you. All of that. You just have to say, See, this is, this is a struggle. This is a process. I don't expect you to get it because I talk about it right now. I expect you to get it because you go home and you have, to, you have to pray about it and think about it and say, God, is this really true? Because if it really is true, you, like David, can express the kind of confidence that David had that enables you to do those great deeds and, to, and, and in some respect to trust Him so completely you can let Saul go. So completely you can face Goliath. So completely you don't have to uh, tremble with fear in the face of your circumstances right now. May God help us to trust Him that completely. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we are um, humbled, really, that You have done everything necessary and all that's left for us is to trust You with it. You continue to provide for us, continue to care for us, continue uh, to make the way clear for us, for all of eternity, to be in Your presence with joy. And yet we fool around with worry and fear, disbelieving You. God, would You forgive us? And would You help us to take You at Your Word and to believe You completely? Oh God, I pray that You would help us use this psalm, these words of David, to be more and more convinced not only that You can save, but that You will save. May we trust You. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.